All right, welcome back to the Real Quick with Mike Swick podcast, episode number 100. Got producer Greg here today, and we're going to do a special edition uh, podcast. We're going to do a question and answer. Greg put up a, um, a questionnaire on the, on the community board. Is that what you call that? Yeah, community, YouTube community. Yeah, and we got a lot of feedback. So I think uh, there was a lot of stuff you want, wanted to know, and, and so I figured what a better what better time than now to answer a bunch of questions for you guys and give you my opinion. So we are going to tackle those questions now. All right. Um, so obviously uh, we just had kind of a pretty big fight weekend. Um, did you have a chance to catch uh, the Tyson Jones fight? Yes, I did. Uh, I guess my opinion on that is the question. Um, yeah. What do you think? I'll start with uh, Jake Paul and Robinson. Okay. Um, I'll say that fight was incredible. Um, I think a couple things got proved in that fight. Athletic ability is different than fighting ability um, as far as Robinson's concerned. Uh, and then when it comes to Jake Paul, I think he definitely answered the question that he has what it takes to be a fighter. Um, it's just, I mean, obviously his skill set's not there yet, but uh, he's definitely a fighter. He's not afraid to get in there and throw gloves and, and, uh, and, and go for it. And, and phenomenal knockout. I mean, that's a highlight real knock knockout for his career. Um, and I think he's on the right path. I think, I think calling out Ben Askren and, and, uh, Dylan Dennis and, and obviously Conor McGregor for sure. And then those other YouTube guys, I, I think you don't even need to worry about that right now. I think he should, and this is my opinion. I think he should go for Dylan Dennis. That that's the fight I'm hoping, uh, it'll legitimize him fighting a real fighter. Um, mm -hmm. and when I say a real fighter, I don't mean like, I don't see Dylan Dennis as a real fighter. I see him as a BJJ guy. Um, but he talks so much shit, and I think that uh, I want to see Dylan tested too, and, and I think it would be a way bigger test for Dylan. I, I give Jake Paul the advantage in that fight in boxing. Um, obviously, BJJ, that's a different story. Dylan's great at BJJ. you got to give him credit where he's due, but just because he talks so much shit and he's so disrespectful, you got to like <laughs> – that guy's got to bother you a little bit. Um, if not, you got something wrong with you, and – Jake Paul's the kind of guy that will step up and throw the throw the heat, and I think that'd be a good first fight, and that'll also get closer to the Connor fight. I was talking to Hav about this, and you know, <clears throat> I think a lot of people were like, "Slow down about the Connor fight," but it's like, eh, maybe not. Like, you know, like I mean, I, I'm not saying you're going to get the Connor fight next, but if you don't think that's a possibility for Jake Paul to fight Connor McGregor, you're crazy. Like that. What what bigger fight as far as on a, on a social media kind of popularity level could there be than that fight? Um, yeah. Jake Paul just has to prove that he's more legitimate of a fighter. He's going to have to rack up some wins. And I think beating Dylan Dennis, who is uh, Conor McGregor's training partner and friend, would definitely uh, get him there a little faster. But he's going to have to rack up a few wins, and then you know he'll do the whole Conor McGregor hasn't won a boxing match, he's 0-1, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that could be a huge fight, and I think they can sell it. I think if they can sell Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, uh, an O and O boxer versus the greatest of all time, and that be the the second largest pay per view of all time, including Canelo versus uh, Floyd Mayweather, um, uh, you know the biggest pay per view in history, next to Manny Pacquiao versus uh, mm -hmm. Mayweather. I I think they can sell Jake Paul versus Conor McGregor, and I think that's a huge business move for him because he'll make a lot of money in doing so. So I think his future is very bright, even though 
it was already quite bright as it is. He's got a music career. He's got the YouTube thing. He's got the fighting. But he definitely stepped up and uh, and and showed that he he wasn't afraid to get in there. And the thing is, I think uh, Logan said said this too at some point. You know, it's not about going in there and and getting that that knockout like he got. It's going in there and doing it. You know, like it, it, it's one thing to throw the strikes, land the punches, and and get a knockout. It's a whole other thing to walk out there and get in that that ring face your opponent face to face especially an athletic guy like Robertson you know and then and then actually go in there and put those punches together and land them and not be afraid not be intimidated and and do it that's a whole another thing mentally um and he stepped up on what he already knew was going to probably be one of the biggest pay-per-views of all time under Tyson Jones and did it without any hesitation at all, like literally without any hesitation. For his show from the time he walked out to the time he got into the ring to the time he did the stare down to the time they started fighting, like there wasn't a flaw in his game um, up to his skill level. You know, obviously he, he uh, you know, he's not 100% where he's going to be in the future, but, you know, where he is, he definitely didn't have any flaws in his game, and I think that was good. Um and then moving on to Tyson versus uh, Roy Jones Jr., uh, fantastic fight. I mean, like, for me, the biggest scare I had with, with anyone else, I, I think, is probably the same. You're worried that these guys are, like, you know, 51 and 54 years old, and are they going to kill each other, or is it going to be just one of those crappy fights where, you know, old age sets in, and they just it looks like two old guys, you know, kind of struggling to fight, and it's just like one of those things you're shaking your head and just kind of, like, wincing at. Um it wasn't at all. And I think from a distance, uh, watching from a distance when the camera was panned out, it'd be hard to tell the difference between Tyson uh, in that fight and Tyson from before. I mean, he moved a lot like he used to, very similar. He was mm. he was still pushing forward and moving his head, and like he looked the same. Uh, Roy Jones was a little slower, still had his style as well. I mean, you could definitely tell it was Roy Jones, um, but – you know, he, he was a little bit slower. He was missing a lot of the punches. He was a little more off, I think, than Tyson, which is shocking considering that Tyson had 15 years off and Roy Jones only had three years off. But I think the motivation was a little bit different, and I think the mindset's way different. I think, you know, even Roy Jones, you could tell before the fight, the way he was talking, you know, he was like, you know, he, he wasn't excited to take that fight. Uh, and then he, when he did take the fight, he's like, he took it because it was, it was Mike Tyson. He just had to take it. It's like when you have that much respect for somebody – you know, that, that carries a lot of weight. So that confidence was definitely in Mike Tyson's favor. And then you take into consideration that, you know, Mike Tyson's just an animal inside. He's like the animal instincts. You know, there's something inside his head. He was born to be a fighter. That's something that, you know, I, I say that fighters are made a lot, um, but some fighters mentally are born and or, or at least developed from a very young age. And I think that's Mike Tyson. And so I think, when you have that kind of mindset, it's you're a dangerous guy. And I think he's good for a couple more fights. So moving on from this a little bit more um, or going into this a little bit more, I, I would say I, I definitely can tell from the end of the fight right there that they were going to do another another show. Mike Tyson's doing this Legends League, and I think he's promoting this kind of thing now where it's going to be older guys or you know legends of the sport fighting each other that still can do it. So I'm kind of rooting for a, a Vander Holyfield, Tyson – main event, Roy Jones Jr., Anderson Silva, co-main event, and Jake Paul, Dylan Dennis fight as well. I think that would be an epic pay-per-view in my opinion. 
Yeah. Um, that would be huge. And I keep saying Dylan Dance. I don't, I'm not saying that would be the biggest draw. A lot of people don't know who Dylan Dance is outside of the fighting world. Um, but I would just, I want to see him have to deal with someone like that because I, I don't, I don't, I don't see him beating Jake Paul in boxing. I think he could beat him on the ground, but I, and, and because he talks so much and has been so disrespectful to so many good fighters who actually could destroy him. I want to see him have to take those punches and, and see what a real fight's like. I mean, you're talking about Dylan Dennis, who's fought a guy who's two and two, and he's fought a guy who's two and five in his whole career. That, that's his entire career. Two and two and two and five are his two opponents that he's beaten on the ground in BJJ where he's the best. So I think this would be a fantastic fight, and I'm really hoping that this is what happens. And I think this, you know, for the people that don't know, they think Dylan Dennis is a fighter. You know, they think Dylan Dennis is an MMA fighter who's with Conor McGregor. And so it's going to legitimize uh, Jake Paul as someone who can beat a fighter. And I think that's going to mm -hmm. put him levels ahead in getting these other fights, which could, you know, eventually lead up to that Conor McGregor fight, which I 100% fully agree would happen. Um, I think it could definitely happen. Javier Mendez, I was talking to him, he thinks it can happen in the future as well. Um, he thinks kind of along the same lines as I do as far as um, he's got to get in there and get some more wins. Um, I want to say another thing, too, on the production side and just the overall show, very impressive. It was phenomenal. Like, I mean, I don't know exactly uh, who was in charge or whatever. I think it was Tyson. Tyson did it, the show with Triller, maybe associated with Tyson. They may be the same company or whatever. So he may like basically promoted his own show, kind of like Floyd Mayweather. Um, mm -hmm. Fantastic. I mean, some of the things they did was just like they, they upped the bar for sure. Like the, the way that they faced off in the weigh-ins with the, the glass cage where you can't touch each other. Like mm -hmm. why hasn't anybody thought of that before? How many times have we seen Dana and these guys stand in between these guys and then they still hit each other and then they get fined, they hurt each other, the fight, you know, it turns into this big big ordeal that they're, they're, they're hoping doesn't happen. Put them in mm -hmm. a cage. Like how has nobody thought about that? You put them in a, a clear glass cage. They can't touch each other. They still face off. I didn't even notice that they were even, they couldn't even touch each other until the second two guys got in there. Like, I didn't even notice. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even tell. It was uh, when Jake Paul and Robinson got in there, I didn't know they couldn't touch each other. And I thought they were kind of like not getting in each other's face a little bit. And then I realized when Tyson and uh, Roy Jones got in there, they couldn't touch each other. It was phenomenal. I think that was phenomenal. I think the the ring, the way they set the ring up was phenomenal. The, the lighting was phenomenal. That was at the Staples Center. I fought at the Staples Center. The Staples Center was like – you know, that thing holds like 20,000 people and like you couldn't tell anything. It seemed like a futuristic kind of environment in there where you could only see what was going on. You couldn't see what was not going on, which was an empty arena with nobody in it. And I think that mm -hmm. was phenomenal. I think that was incredible the, the way they did that, the production team. Um, I think all around it was a great show, phenomenal show. So that's my that's my opinion on that. Uh, very impressed with Mike Tyson, super impressed. I, he, I think he's just one of those those type of guys that's just so different than everybody else that can do things that no one else can do. Very few guys at 54 years old can go in there and fight like he did and land those punches. Yeah. Sorry, I, I need to rattle on too much about that, but that, that was that was a hell of a show, man. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, I hope I, – I like that idea that you had about that card. I think that would be a really cool way to follow up this event. Anderson Silva has been wanting to fight Roy Jones for a while, and Roy Jones wanted to fight Anderson Silva. That's a phenomenal fight. That's a phenomenal fight. I, I think, uh, I mean, you got to give Roy Jones the advantage in boxing, obviously, but then you got to look at this fight with Tyson and see that Roy Jones was off. He mm -hmm. was off. His timing was off. Um, 
you know, he was still showboating, but his timing was off. He was slower. There was a lot of, you know, air punches that, that weren't connecting. I think that uh, Anderson Silva is a lot more sharp, even though he's out of, you know, his prime in MMA. I think in the situation fighting a 51-year-old in Roy Jones, I think he's a little bit more sharp, faster, more uh, accurate, and, and, and it would make for an interesting fight, even though Roy Jones would have the edge technically in boxing. I think Anderson makes up for it with the abilities that he has still in his 40s to be faster, elusive, uh, carry the speed, the accuracy. And, and so I think that would be a phenomenal fight. And it depends on Dana to see if that happens. Dana's obviously got Anderson locked in contract. And so, yeah, we'll see. But, man, that's incredible. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens next because it's cool to see, man, like these guys being able to do something that they love doing at this age. And, and I'm happy to see they didn't get hurt. You know, like I'm happy to see that the last fight didn't end like the – the Jake Paul Robinson fight where a guy just gets, you know, laid out at 50 years old. So I'm glad that happened too. You know, they yeah. ended in a, in a nice, pretty close draw. I mean, I would say it's, I would say Tyson won, but uh, it, it was still fairly close enough that there wasn't like a controversy and it wasn't like a, a negative impact. Okay. So we'll go to the next one. <laughs> cool. Um, so not surprisingly, we do have a ton of questions from uh, subscribers about your UFC career. So I figured we could dive into some of those. Um, so kind of taking it back to the beginning of like going pro in MMA, like what made you decide to start doing MMA and overall, how has your journey been? Um, yeah, it didn't start in MMA per se, but uh, my journey started with the Karate Kid, the movie, The Karate Kid. So I watched the movie, The Karate Kid, and, you know, movies influence people. So I wanted to beat up the bad guy and get the girl. I still got to watch this, uh, all the episodes of this uh, Cobra Kai that just came out. My buddy Lynn directed a lot of the episodes, and uh, mm. I got to get into that. Everybody says it's amazing. And I've, I've watched uh, just the first couple episodes, but I want to get into that. But, yeah, Karate Kid is the movie that got me into it. And I got into Taekwondo, moved in from Taekwondo into kickboxing, and then found MMA. That, that became the new thing. My idea was that I was going to get into Taekwondo and karate um, and be a martial artist until I made a name for myself and became like Chuck Norris and then ended up in the movies and like, you know, finished out my life blowing up stuff and war movies and kicking ass. And that was that was the plan. So that's that's kind of how it started. Right on. Um, how far I remember on a previous podcast, you were talking about that you weren't particularly crazy about uh, learning the forms in karate or taekwondo and that you were more pref preferential to sparring. How far did you get like what belt did you get up to before you decided to kind of just move straight into kickboxing? Do you remember? Oh, man, I don't even know. I really don't even know. I, got, I, was, I was definitely a green belt at one time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a blue belt or not. I think I think there is. <laughs> I think I got a blue belt if there's one. Uh, I, yeah. I never got a brown or black in anything. Okay. Never got a brown or black. I'm I'm close to my brown and and uh, BJJ, but I just quit doing B. I just I quit doing gi jitsu like years and years and years ago. And you can't get your your belts in BJJ without doing gi. Right. But same same exact principle. I didn't learn from the, my my beginnings because the same same reasoning. Um, I I didn't uh, advance my belts in Taekwondo because I wanted to fight all the time. All I wanted to do was spar. I didn't want to do the forms. I didn't want to do the board breaking. I didn't want to do all this other showman stuff. I wanted to just get out there and fight and compete. So I would actually compete at a brown and black belt level, like first brown right. and then black belt level. Um, but I would, I've never like obtained the belts from like forums and all that kind of stuff. Okay. 
Cool. And uh, so getting into your history with AKA, um, what year did you first join AKA and, and how old were you when that happened? So I went out to AKA when I was like uh, 19, I think. It was in 1998. Um, and I tried out for the team. Now, mind you, AKA back in 1998 was not AKA. It was Team Shamrock. And Frank Shamrock was the head of the team. So it was Javier Mendez, had American Kickboxing Academy. Uh, Frank Shamrock was partnered with uh, Javier Mendez, and he had the sh uh, Shamrock submission wrestling uh, or submission fighting, and it was like Team Shamrock. Um, so I came out there because Frank was like five-time UFC champion. He was like a big name, most well-rounded fighter. So I, along with all the other, most all the other guys, came out, out there to be with Frank, to train with Frank, and to, to you know, obviously be on Team Shamrock. And that's what we did. Um, I tried out in 1998. Um, I ended up having to fight Bob Cook, who became – the trainer later when I showed up to come back. Um, it took me uh, three or four years to come back, may maybe three years to come back, to save up money and come back to San Jose after I did the tryout in 98 and made the team. Uh, maybe two, two to three years it took me to come back. But I, and during the tryout, I had to fight Charles Taylor and I had to fight, uh, you know, they, Frank Shamrock beat me up with like all these like calisthenics and drills and workouts where I was just completely exhausted. Then there was like three fights I had to fight in a row, which one was uh, BJJ, one was kickboxing, and one was boxing. And then there was a surprise MMA fight, full-on MMA fight after after wow. those three. And that ended up being Bob Cook. And me and Bob Cook went full-on MMA. And that was just like right after he got like a, a one of the fastest knockouts in, in history of California, so I don't know, something like that. And, and so me and him went at it, and yeah – like, it was rough. It was a hard tryout, but I didn't give up, and I made the team. They welcomed me on the team, Team Shamrock, and then it took me a couple years, at least a couple years. I can't remember exactly, but at least a couple years to come back. Uh, I went to Russia and worked for a year, saved up money, came back, and then I joined Team Shamrock when I got back, and it was Frank, Javier Mendez. Bob Cook was a coach at that time, um, and then all the original guys. There's like, too many to the list, but it was uh, Josh Thompson, Trevor Prangley, Paul Buenatello, Bobby Southworth, um, all the original guys. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, and so is that the first time that you met Javier? Was that your AKA tryout? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He, he, Javier owned, owned the gym. So he owned American Kickboxing Academy. Um, and then Frank was just training MMA out of his out of his gym. But Brian, Brian Johnson was the first guy. I'm going to make that clear. Brian Johnson was the first guy to come to Hav and kind of introduce MMA to the gym. Um, and then Frank came in and took over the MMA program. And so it was like Brian Johnson had a stroke and, and couldn't do it anymore. Frank came in. I don't know if they were there together at the same time or whatever, but that, that was how the transition happened. But Brian Johnson was a very vital part of the beginning of, of AKA or American Kickboxing Academy getting um, uh, MMA and, 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 and turning over into the MMA world. And then Frank came in and then the team came in and then we just started building from there. Eventually Frank would have a disagreement with Hav and, um, Bob. Frank was a very hard to train with guy. He was a very difficult, um, person to, he's a very hard person to, to train with and hard. I mean like a hard person, like a, like a prisoner, you know, like when you go to, when you go to prison, you, 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 you talk about how hard those guys are. He's kind of like that mentality, you know? And so it was really hard to train with him. He, he was a very like rough guy and, and, uh, he, he spent the majority of the time kind of beating us up more than helping us. And so it just became a huge problem. Eventually they had a fallen out. We had a big fallen out later, but, um, 
and then they they divided the team and he left and some of the guys well one of the guys went with him and then everybody else stayed and then we all just kind of you know we chose to stay with javier and with bob and with american kickboxing academy and we didn't have a real like leader now because frank was our leader and he was a very famous one obviously and we we weren't anything in our careers at that point and we just decided to call the team team aka and we started just creating the curriculum that is now the curriculum of aka we started building um the training routines the you know and, and, and taking out what didn't work and keeping what worked and you know we formed the airdyne routine we formed all the sparring the way we did that the way we did the grab the way we did the whole entire class that we still do today just very modified which we've modified it since then every year um and and we still use it at ak thailand as well that's awesome yeah. um do you have any like uh memories or like do you remember even what your first impression of javier was when you met him or anything about him from those early days hob was um in the, from the early days he was real quiet um off to a self kind of and he in the very very beginning he was just kind of getting his feel for mma so he was kind of feeling out how he can help you know he was a very good kickboxer very elusive very the, one of the best you know that anyone ever sparred there so he was one of the best kickboxers um and so he was just trying to think find his place you know he, he owned the gym he it was his gym it was his place he was the kind of we him the godfather he was like the main boss you know but he was trying to find his place of like what he wanted to do and what he could do um and how he would do it that that's kind of in the early days so i never worked with him in the early days i didn't work with him until I got in the UFC. You kind of had to earn your right to work with Hoff. You had to, you had to build your way up to him. And, and, you know, a lot of fighters come in, like even at AKA, and they want all the attention, you know, in their first day. And it's like, that's not the way it works. You know, <laughs> like you just, you have to earn your way up like any other job or profession or education and whatever in the world. You, you don't just show up at a place, no matter who you are, and get all the attention. You have to earn your way up. And that's how it was with Hoff. Hoff uh, eventually decided he wanted to be a trainer. Um, and start training the guys and he was very very good at it and he's very smart um, he likes to dissect things he's very strategic and so he had a lot to offer and so he immediately became very in demand and because of that reason he became hard to get to you had to be one of the top guys on the team um, and we all got some work in with him but like as far as like him taking us under his wing it took a while for me to get him to take me under his wing and then he became my main head coach for my career. Cool. Um, so, uh, heading into like your fight career, um, did you have any kind of like routine that you would do on a fight night or like, what was your focus as you're heading into a fight? You mean like fight week just the, through, through the week? Yeah. Fight week through the week. And then I think also they'd like to know, um, maybe specifically what's going through your mind, like on the night of the event, like yeah. as you're backstage. Yeah, yeah. Through the week, I just kept my mind off the fight. Um, there's a lot of emotions, and it takes a lot of adrenaline out of you. Like when you're about to fight, like there's a lot of adrenaline that just can can pump out of your system, and you lose it. You know, so you, you want to save that for the fight. So, uh, over experience, I've learned that you just got to take that away. You you got to focus on not focusing on the fight and focusing on. Uh, you know, uh, we, we would watch a lot of funny movies, like a lot of like comedies and we get together in the room and just have fun and talk, keep conversation going. I didn't want to spend a lot of time by myself, like, like just sitting in my room, thinking about my thoughts, thinking about the fight. You know, when you train for three months, two months, every fight's your biggest fight. So, you know, that in like, say when you get to fight week, uh, you, you know, in six days 
or five days or whatever it is uh, from from whatever day you're on on in the week, you know that's going to be the the most important day of your career, and it's going to be the the best day, or, or it's going to be the worst day, possibly. You know, very very seldom is it in the middle where you you, you get like a draw or something, and it's just like kind of like, usually it's the worst day or the best day. You, you know, you're propelling yourself up, and you become you could be a superstar or at least on your way, or you get demolished down to you know where you're going to go from there, and so. That that uh, makes you very nervous and very scared, uh, as Mike Tyson puts. He's he's scared before his fights. He always talks about, and I and I and I don't think it's scared because of being hurt. I think he he also probably thinks about those things too. Um, you don't want to lose. You don't want to let your family down, your team down, yourself down, um, and you don't want to you know go through all that work and trouble that you did for fight camp. And as hard as I trained, I didn't want to waste that. And if if I go lose the fight, that's just that wasted that whole fight camp for me. Um, and then as it gets close to the fight, you start getting geared up and getting ramped up. Uh, fight day, you go into the fight. Oh, you earn your, your money on fight day. That, that's when you're the most nervous. Like I've, through experience, like I don't get nervous um, until that much. It comes in waves, but I don't get nervous so, so much until fight day. When I wake up fight morning, whether I wake up at 6 in the morning or 9 in the morning or whatever time it is, it's like when the second your eyes open, that's it. You can't shut your eyes again. Like you're, you're awake. So don't even try to go back to sleep. Don't even try to like, uh, you know, get more rest. It's over. You, you woke up. Your mind's on the fight. It's fight day. Today's the day you're going to find out whether you win or lose. You're going to look across the octagon and face your opponent for millions of people. Forget it. It's time to go. It's go time. Get up. Eat some breakfast. You know, and that's when it's the hardest to control your feelings and make yourself not think about the fight focus on uh you know just uh your family and your friends and and you know not thinking about the fight you get to the fight go backstage try to rest again not focus on 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 anything uh too particular and then once you start warming up is when you start trying to get into the the mode uh, once you start warming up you know, it's kind of go time. You start thinking about the fight. You start thinking about what you're going to do, the options. Everything that you've been thinking about for the last three months starts coming into play. Um, and you start visualizing all those things. Um, I don't warm up a lot. I've never been a guy. That, you see some of those guys back there that just they go through an entire workout and they're drenched in sweat. And then they go out there. Um, and then you see guys that don't do anything. Um, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I don't do much. And a uh, little bit of pad work, a little bit of grappling go over the technique, strategize with what my strategy is. And then uh, they'd come in and say, you know, you're on deck 10 minutes, scary ass feeling. You know, when you hear that 10 minutes or five minutes or let's go and then it's time to walk out and then you're, and then you're in the holding area. And then when you're in the holding area, you got your opponent in front of you or behind you, depending on whatever corner you're in. And, you know, you see him for the first time in his corner and, Sometimes they're cool, you know, sometimes they're just doing their own thing. And, and of course, the, 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 all their, their corners like, kill them, yeah, beat them, you're going to murder them, you train too hard for this. I'll never forget uh, Marcus Davis was, the, uh, was one of the craziest. I mean, they were telling him all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, I'm taking his money and it's from his family and his kids. And I'm <laughs> it's like, I'm not. I'm, I'm right here. I'm, it's just a fight. It's like it was, it was, it was kind of funny, actually. But uh, – they were really pumping him up. He, I, thought, I thought he was going to be super pumped up by the time we fought. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then sometimes you go back and forth with your opponent. Sometimes I've had words with my opponent, you know, that he looked back and said something and I said something back to him. And, like, 
You know, it's like, you know, I, I wasn't much for, for talking shit, but like if they did, I would just put them in their place. Like, look, man, we're about to go out and fight. If you, you want to talk shit? Two minutes, <laughs> two minutes. We got two minutes and we're going to be in there and we, and we can settle it We're really fast. And sometimes we did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so a couple kind of like rapid fire questions for you. Um, some people wanted to know, like, what strike caused the most pain that you've ever experienced? Um, I would say both in fighting and in sparring. All right. So in sparring, uh, it's hard to say. I, well, I mean, I had, uh, well, the most pain, I guess, for an injury would be, I was thinking strikes. But I, I guess I tore my my MCL, my ACL, my meniscus. And that, yeah. that was the worst pain, probably. That didn't feel good. And the crunching of my whole knee collapsing. And it was uh, a week before I left for Brazil to fight Eric Silva, UFC, I want to say 104. Um, mm -hmm. And then Josh Koscheck, I... I I had done something good actually against him. I like swept him or something. And like I got up and he came back after me when I was standing, hit the side of my knee and then just caved my entire knee inside, like in, into itself. And it tore Oof. my meniscus, my ACL and my MCL. So I was out for 910 days, but that the pain of that fight, I was so upset because I knew I wasn't going to fight. Like the second it happened, I knew I wasn't going to fight. Um, so the, it was painful, but I was so mad that I walked outside like on it because i was Whoa. just like i couldn't believe that that i was i just lost my fight you know like that and that all this happened and the whole time i was walking my knee was like sliding in and out of place because it had nothing like holding it into place but Oof. i was just so mad and it, it hurt but i just didn't care but yeah that's the worst pain in training um during a fight two things one would be i fought chris lieben early in my career for the wc championship we fought for the world title and he landed some foot stomps and broke my foot both of my feet uh in the first round now it's weird because like punches and stuff like that never bother me i always feel them and stuff but it's like not a big deal but when he when he was uh stomping my feet i just remember thinking like you're wasting your time bro like this stuff is for like the kids stop stop what are you doing you know like what are you doing bro you could do something better like well i won't get into but i'll, I'll just say there's more effective things you can do than that is what i was thinking but then yeah. once he broke the foot and like the actual bone started breaking, then I was like, okay, <laughs> that shit hurts. And it was actually, it was one of the sharpest pains I've ever felt during a fight because usually you don't feel pain so much as you do fatigue. So it's like mm -hmm. you feel impact and you feel a little bit of pain, but it's not like real like, oh, ouch pain, you know, like where you're just like, you know, really hurt. But that, that got through whatever it was it definitely it felt like i was getting hit with a hammer on the top of my feet on both of them um and then the second one for a punch would be david loazzo landed a, a really solid punch on my forehead thank god but it was just a really hard punch and mm. it just jarred the shit out of me like it didn't rock me and it didn't knock me out but it was like one of those things where i thought to myself if i take another one of those i am i'm gonna be waking up so I got to I got to not take another one of those punches. I, he probably broke his hand. I mean it was literally like when it was like a baseball bat to my forehead and I was just like wow, that was incredible. That sounds intense. Yeah. Um so on the flip side, um you've not you've had a few knockouts to your to your name. So what's the most um satisfying way for you to knock somebody out? Like a lot of people talk about um that they really love to finish a fight with a head kick and they think that's like the best feeling. So like, what is it for you? Um, you know, it's punches. 
I, I love unleashing like a lot of punches and landing. I've had a knee knockout that was pretty nice with Kingo Ura. Um, I've had a few different types, but I, to me, just the the punches and bunches, and especially when they come early. So like, yeah, I like counter fighting, um, throwing feints, and then when they come in, come back over the top with like just 40 or 50 punches, as many as I possibly can. And I just love that feeling of when they're getting in and I know that like it's going to be over. Like once, you, once you've landed like that third punch and you're already, you know, ready to just continue to land like 10 or 15 more, like you know pretty much it's going to be over. And I think that that's a great feeling to have, you know, instead of waiting for one strike to land or feeling that one strike, it's, it's, it feels good to land so many at one time. And, and, and it's kind of like a ambush kind of, I guess. I don't know. You just totally feel like you're in complete and utter control and, and you're just – you know, winning by the most devastating way possible. And, um, in your fight camps, did you do like a lot of cross training or what was your kind of focus when you're training in a fight camp? I stayed sports specific always. So I always did a lot of stuff. Like we did a lot of grappling, a lot of aerodyne, a lot of sparring, a lot of stuff for your own body weight. I did a lot of pushups, a lot of pull-ups, a lot of dips. I didn't do a whole lot of weights. I do, I do more weights now than I've ever done. Um, in my actual, fighting days when I was fighting, I didn't do weights hardly at all because I just did sports specific stuff, stuff that moved my own body weight, um, stuff that had to do with my body weight and, and stuff that had to do with fighting. So I, I stuck with all that. Cool. Um, and then going into your, uh, days on the ultimate fighter, do you wish that you could have fought, um, on that show at 185? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I felt I would have done a lot better. Um, a lot of the guys at 185 weren't 185. So, like, I would have been way bigger than a lot of those guys. But I was way smaller than the 205 guys, you know, like Stefan and Forrest and Schoenauer and, and all those other guys. So, but you know what? I, I tried to, I, the thing is, I lost that fight I just mentioned with Chris Lieben for the WC title. Um, and Dana was at that fight. And that was my previous fight before the Ultimate Fighter. So, uh, Dana was basically at a fight that I lost and then I got a chance to be on the ultimate fighter. So when that happens, uh, you, you'll take whatever they'll give you. Cause you're just appreciative that Dana just sat there front row and watched you get beat and is now going to put you on a TV show, which could put you in the UFC. So I was like, I'll take it. I'll take heavyweight. I'll take any weight. And, uh, the only slot they had available was two Oh five. And he said, would you mind taking it? If, which was the silliest question he's ever asked me. And I said, yeah, of course. And then I, I took the, you know, took the spot, but yeah, I mean, it would have been better to be at 185 because there would have been a nice Lieben fight for sure. Um, that should have always happened. That's the one fight that should have always happened that got away. Um, the rematch with Lieben. Um, and, and there could have been some other good fights too, but yeah, I'll take it for what it is. Cool. And, uh, kind of jumping from that straight into, uh, some more opponents that maybe you wish you would have fought. Is there any names that kind of come to mind? When you think about fights that you wish you had had during your career, I mean, I wish I had made the GSP fight. You know, I, I I was I was one fight away from Anderson Silva and one fight away from GSP, and I fight I fought contention fights for those. And uh, you know, I'd have, I'd have liked to have both of them. Uh, I think the Anderson Silva fight would have been a hell of a lot tougher than I thought at the time. We didn't know how good he was. He was only a couple fights in. I think he beat Lieben and he beat Franklin. So I think he was very impressive. Um, and, and I, I was on a five-fight win streak, so I'd won all five of my fights, the first, the first four and five minutes combined. So I was on a pretty nice little tear in the UFC myself. Um, and then 
I was supposed to fight him. Travis Luter won the TV show, jumped ahead of me because the winner of the TV show got to fight Anderson Silva or fight the championship. And so instead of waiting, I chose to fight Yushino Kami. Um, but I wish I had had that fight just for the sake of fighting Anderson Silva. You know what I mean? Like whatever happened would have happened and I would have taken the knockout or get, definitely would have given it for sure. But I, I would have, you know, I would have done whatever had to have happened to have that fight. You know, however it played out would have been worth just getting in there with a, a legend like that and getting that one big fight that I never had. Because I never had that real big fight, you know, that 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 monster fight. Um, and then I found myself back in title contention to fight GSP as a welterweight when I dropped weight. Um, and then I fought, fought Dan Hardy to fight for a contendership to fight GSP. And I blew that by decision as well, like I did with Okami. And I didn't get to fight GSP. And that's another fight I wanted to fight. And the reason I wanted to fight GSP is not because I thought I would beat him technically and be an overall better martial artist. There's no doubt in our all of our minds in that era that GSP was the greatest martial artist of all time as far as when it comes to MMA. He was the best. Um, but the difference between me and a lot of these other guys that were fighting him was that I wasn't going to put him on a pedestal and I was going to go after him the same way Matt Sarah did, except just probably a lot more explosive. I had a lot more reach and I had some power. So he would have had to deal with that. And I think that would have been an edge on, you know, that the, a lot of his other opponents didn't have. Um, but if had he drug me into his game, then I would be in trouble. I can't out, I can't out technique him or out wrestle him or do out anything him, but knock him out. So, but it, I would still love to have had that fight. So those, those are two fights I would have definitely loved to have had. Cool. Um, and then in training, um, you've trained with a lot of different people, not just at AKA, but I'm sure a lot of other guys in the sport, who's like the strongest opponent that you've ever trained with. And who would you say is the most talented, uh, fighter you've ever trained with? Uh, body weight, like pound for pound, I'd say Habib. Habib is uh, the strongest guy that I've ever trained with, uh, pound for pound, like for his body weight, being a lightweight that he is. Um, he's super, super strong. Grip grip is incredible. He's, he's just crazy strong. Talent-wise, uh, you know, it might be a shock to some people, but uh, Josh Thompson and uh, Luke Rockhold are both very, very well-rounded and uh, – Josh Thompson's actually really, really well-rounded, and he's a good coach, and I learned a lot from him. There's a lot of guys that are really good at uh, their thing, you know, and it was good enough to to propel them and, and, and win championships and, and be extremely dominant. And then you have guys that are just really well-rounded that can mix BJJ with the striking and just everything so fluently. And Thompson was, was one of the top, I think, that can do that, that can mix it up and win in any area of the game. I mean, he, he could literally win against any opponent in any area, um, depending on the fight. And then, and then Rockhold was, was becoming the same way. He was getting there pretty fast. Um, his grap grappling is, is very unique and, and incredible, just crazy, crazy good grappling. And his striking was coming along the same. I think just uh, mistakes happened during his fights, which, which uh, would, would make that seem unbelievable if someone heard it because of the way he's lost a couple of his fights. But I think uh, some, you know, like the, the Bisping fight, I think it was complacency and underestimate, you know, he underestimated that him in that fight and didn't fight him the way he should have. And so I think, I think, I think he didn't come in with the right mindset for a couple of fights, but his skill level, really good. Good answers. Um, and so everybody kind of always brings up um, your wins and your successes. 
when they're talking to MMA fighters um, about their career. Um, but we do have a good question um, asking, what loss uh, has changed you as a person and as a fighter for the better more than uh, a win would have in your career? Um, ah, that, that more than a win part at the end kind of threw me off. Um, I would have said my last fight, Alex Garcia, um, because... It, it's kind of one of those things where I was I was fighting to fight just to go out there and have fun and do it to promote the gym and and because I had built the gym and it was for all the wrong reasons for what a fighter who's who's a professional should do it for I was I, I was very disrespectful to the sport and to to the athletes by going out there and selfishly fighting for reasons that were not pure as far as me trying to be a champion and trying to you know you know, be a fighter. I was done. I knew I was done. I had no intentions of continuing fighting. I had no intentions of being a fighter. I just wanted to go out there and have fun and, and, and fight and, and fight a guy who was a tough guy who, who was a, you know, 10 years younger than me and extremely strong. One of GSP's strongest, uh, training partners, great wrestler, which I've always been afraid of these guys that had great takedowns. So I was putting myself in a big challenge. It was a Conor McGregor card. So I selfishly took that fight but that was a, a you know I lost a decision and, and and it was because of the same reason that I always feared you know against a wrestler is uh, getting taken down yeah I mean you get a guy that can take you down and he can hold you down and you can't get up you're gonna lose the fight there's just nothing you can do about it and and so you're when you fight a wrestler that's always been my biggest fear and he was able to take me down and I couldn't get up um, as much as I should have and and so it didn't matter about the strikes I landed on the feet or whatever. But that fight was good in showing me that I, I needed to move on and quit quit thinking about fighting again and quit, you know, get your head, you're done fighting. So it taught me the most as far as like focus on your business. You know, you, you took a, a big space in your business and time away and, and, and go focus on your business and quit trying to play fighter. You, you've already had your fun. Um, but then when you say as opposed to winning, I'd have liked to have won that fight. You know, that would have been <laughs> so I wouldn't have said I'd rather have lost that fight. But you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, I would have probably rather have lost that fight because had I won with my ego and like and confidence and I'd have fought another fight. And then that would have taken more away from business and that would have taken more away. And then I would have been like, oh, I'm going to be a champion again. Like, so, so maybe that answers your question. I'll, I'll go with that. Final answer. All right, guys, I hope you're enjoying our 100th episode special question and answer segment. But we have to thank our sponsors, our first being Manscaped, the official trimmer of the UFC, and now the official trimmer of the Real Quick with Mike Swick podcast and yours truly. Specially engineered tools for your family jewels, and they are the best below-the-waist grooming products on the market, bar none, by far. There's not a question about it. And now you can save 20% off by entering code QUICK at checkout at manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com, and you get free shipping as well. So for entering code QUICK at manscaped.com, you get free shipping and you get 20% discount. And it lets them know that I sent you. So now you support the podcast and you support Manscaped, and you save money, and you get it shipped directly to your door. So it helps everybody. So appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Please visit Manscaped, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com, enter code QUICK, and save today. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by AK Thailand. 
the world's premier luxury training resort in Phuket, Thailand. You can go to akthailand.com right now and find out any information about the gym, and you can actually save 30%. So you can find out all about the classes, the programs, the location, um, everything, the facilities, everything that we have to offer, and you can book online and save 30% right now, which is a third. Um, it looks like the state of emergency of Thailand is going to end on January 15th. I'm not 100% sure on that. That's what we're hearing right now. I think it could be sooner than that now that the vaccines are out and everybody's getting vaccinated. So I think that if you have the vaccine, you can actually come sooner. Um, so we're, we're coming to an end here. So the, the borders are about to open. You're about to be able to come to Thailand. And we are still offering the 30% discount, which means you can save 30% on all group training for the life of the gym. I mean, like you can literally use it uh, – maybe in January or uh, February, March, whenever, or even next year or 2022, 23, 24, you're in our system. Once you book it right now and save 30%, which is the best deal you're ever going to get because of the quarantine, you can use it anytime in the future and never have to worry about when you want to redeem it. It's yours. It's locked in the system 100%. Um, if you have any questions about uh, the website or uh, the, the, the new updates on the borders or whatever, info at akthailand.com. Just email info at akthailand.com. We'll answer any of your questions, and we always get back to you very, very fast. Five-star service, five-star rated on TripAdvisor, five-star rated on Google. Uh, our service is the highest level possible. Don't worry. We will 100% answer you as soon as we possibly can. And if you're not familiar with AK Thailand, here's our commercial. What's up, everybody? I am here in Thailand. This is the first time I've ever been here. Been dying to come here for years. Mike Swick, he's one of the big reasons he's been trying to pull me down here. What he built down here, AKA Thailand, is incredible. There's people here from all over the world. You can train mixed martial arts here, jujitsu. They have weightlifting, they have cardio, and obviously they have Muay Thai, boxing, everything. telling you guys I know everybody wants to go to Thailand because Thailand's so cool but you can't come to Thailand without coming to aka Thailand come on you've trained with a lot of um, people that became champions ultimately. And so in your estimation and from what you've seen in your experience what would you say separates a champion from uh, say somebody who's at a contender level in UFC? Um, well, I, I, I mean, what separates a guy who can get to a contender lev level or a champion level is discipline, mindset, strength, uh, determination. I mean, it, there's a lot of things, but it's mindset mostly. It, most of the things that get you there is mindset driven. You have to have talent uh, to some degree. You have to have strength and ability, obviously, um, but if you don't have the right mindset to push yourself, you're not going to get there. So if you have like a quitter's mindset, you, you take shortcuts, uh, you're looking for easy way outs, you're never ever going to be a contender in, in MMA. You might as well just get another job. If you're that guy that goes on the Airdyne, you know, at AK, one of either AK Thailand or AK headquarters, and you're on the Airdyne and you're, you know, you're going hard as you can when the coaches are around. And then when the coach walks to the other side, you slow down the numbers and then you pick them back up when the coach walks back by, 
you're not a fighter. You're, 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 you know, if you're, if you're training hard and then you train harder when the coach walks over or you're trying to do, you know, more impressive work or whatever, you're not a fighter. Just period. Just save yourself the time quit wasting your, your life and your time as far as if you want to be a fighter and you're not doing it recreationally and get another job. You have to have that mentality. Like you can see right now, if you look at my Instagram and my stories, I'm working out by myself at 41 years old at nighttime and I'm in the, some of the best shape of my life. You know what I mean, I'm, I'm not far from it at least, you know, and it's like, I, I don't need training partners. I don't need coaches. I don't need people pushing me. I don't need I, I don't have time for training partners because when training partners are around me, I'm working, you know, like I'm, I'm working and during the daytime and, and doing things. So I don't have the time. I have to go in at nighttime, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever time it is. And I get my work in and, and, and I still get the same result. And that was put into me for a long time. And I still just made it to contender level. I still wasn't a champion. Um, and I think to go from contender to champion, you know, you, you got to have all that, um, even more talent, and a little bit of luck as well, because you got to get those fights. I mean, we've seen champions like like I'm, I don't, I'm not disrespecting anybody, but we've seen champions like Bisping. We've seen champions, um, you know, like Forrest, and, and Forrest is a good a champion too. But we've seen these champions that became champions over a single fight, or or one or two fights versus guys like george st pierre and and anderson silva and and these guys that were actual champions for like just years you know tyron woodley guys that that held that belt and were champion level for a long time it wasn't just they beat one guy um for whatever reason and became a champion so a little bit of the luck can play into it to get into that one win to be a champion but to be that Tyron Woodley and that Anderson Silva and uh, the Vanderlei Silva and Pride, you know, and 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 all the champions that we've, the fantastic Demetrius Johnsons and the uh, the fantastic champions that we've had and still have today. Uh, I don't. I'm gonna keep naming names because I'm gonna miss somebody. But you know, all the champions that we have today. That that takes a whole lot. I mean, that takes everything that I've listed on top of just uh, extreme talent and even more fortitude and, and uh, mindset and strength and sacrifice. I forgot to mention sacrifice, but that's a huge, huge deal. I think uh, I'm, not, I'm not a religious guy, and I don't, you know, I believe in karma and the balance of the world, but I definitely believe in sacrifice. I believe what you give up, it, you, you get back somehow. So I feel like every time I've ever given up so much for a fight, it's usually came back in my favor. Um, and I gave up like 30 years of my life, you know, and like, you know, to, to be a fighter. And I, and I, and I worked harder than I ever have, whether I was winning fights or losing fights or fighting in Taekwondo matches when I was a kid or kickboxing matches for like no money at all, whatever the case, I was killing myself for 30 years. And though I'm still grinding and working hard, I'm living a, a decent life because of that. I feel like I'm getting back a little bit of that, that life that I lost for those, those years that I spent looking at a bag in a, in a, in a sweaty room with a bunch of sweaty people for my entire life while my friends were having parties and playing and going and doing all their things. And I was saying no every time. So I think the sacrifice is definitely a big part of that as well. Makes perfect sense. And uh, that kind of leads me to the next topic, which is Thailand. Uh, a lot of people have questions about Thailand in general, life in Thailand. Uh, they want to know a lot of stuff about AKA. So kind of kicking it off, um, at what point did you decide to move here? And was that a difficult decision to make? I've been coming to Thailand for 20 years. So I've been in love with uh, Muay Thai because I'm a striker. I've always wanted to be a striker. I came from Taekwondo, moved into kickboxing, uh, then found Muay Thai. So 
I love knockouts. Like, you know, obviously I said the, the one I love the most, but I love getting the knockout. There's nothing more decisive than knocking somebody out. I mean, there's no question about who won the fight. There's no argument. There's no, and it's very exciting. And it's a, it's an entertainment sport. So if you can knock people out, I feel like you can make a bigger career for yourself and become a bigger star than if you just barely win fights or technically win fights. Um, so I was coming to Thailand for 20 years since, since uh, 1999. And... The more I would come to Thailand and train, I would have to like retrain myself because I would come to Thailand and I would train in Muay Thai. Then I'd go back and I'd have to like train in MMA. So my stance would have to change my, you know, so many things would have to change, but I'd have to just take what I could from the Thai training and implement it in the MMA training back in America. So I eventually got to a point where as I was making more money in the UFC and getting more successful, I, I wanted to build a gym in Thailand that was, that was, that was basically good enough to be a gym where you could train for UFC and, 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 and MMA and the bigger, the bigger shows and, and get everything. Have a full you know stable of Muay Thai champions to teach you Muay Thai, but you also had them understanding the MMA uh, footwork and, and style, as well as having BJJ, strength and conditioning, yoga, a restaurant, a basketball court for whatever reason and everything else <laughs> we have at AKA Thailand. Um, so I just, it, it just became like a dream and they just got bigger and bigger and bigger, more ambitious, more ambitious, more ambitious. And then in 2009, I started work on it. And then uh, 2010, 11, it was just a lot of work, failing, tripping, picking myself back up and finally got it underway. And then, and we've been open for about seven years now in Phuket. And uh, for somebody who hasn't been, say to Thailand in general, or hasn't, hasn't, uh, you know, been to Phuket for training, what would you say that makes AKA Thailand different from other MMA gyms that they could find, you know, anywhere else in the world? The thing is, is like, I, I came here because I wanted to build a unique experience. So I wanted to have that gym that has everything for a, the best fight team. And if you look at our fighters, we have some of the best fighters that's ever been grown in Thailand. You know, I mean, we have Manel Cap, who's fighting the number fifth ranked UFC fighter in his very first UFC fight coming up uh, almost this month, next month, but this is the end of November, yeah. so d December. Um, and we built Amir Ali Akbari from the ground up. I gave him his very first MMA lesson, and he became a superstar in Japan. He's fighting uh, right in the beginning of December, I think that December 4th, uh, one championship or whatever, he's undefeated except uh, Mirko Krokop, which was in the finals of a 16 man open weight Grand Prix heavyweight championship fight that I cornered him for in Japan on New Year's Eve. Um, and, and we built a lot of big, big fighters from AK Thailand. So it's not about the masses. It's about building quality. So I wanted to have a team that we built the best fighters, but we also cater to everyone. I wanted to build like the hard rock cafe of gyms. I wanted to have the cool factor. No one's ever built a cool gym. You know, everyone's built gyms, um, but they built cool restaurants. They built cool shopping malls. They go to Dubai. They built cool hotels. They built cool, you know, all these like, like trendy, awesome, cool places that are one of a kind but no one's ever built a cool fight gym and that's that's what I wanted to do I wanted to build a gym that was so cool so unique so uniquely designed and built it's just, as you know it's structured on uh, you know two acres of land so we got restaurants and we got you know billboards of gigantic billboards of the logo and and you know this mountainscape view on the 5,000 square foot Muay Thai area you know it's got all these things and I wanted it to be a uh, like a like a excursion, like a place people go that just want to go see it and take pictures and be there and say they went there and it it, it be a prominent 
kind of uh, location, you know, as well as a training facility. And that's what we've done. And, and so we have so many people that come in that have no experience and, and have very little experience and they have the time of their life and love it, you know. And then we have pro fighters at the highest level, top five in the world. That are, that are training out of there. And, and, we, and then we have athletes, you know, that are just uh, strength and conditioning athletes that want to just stay in shape. And, and we have people that just want to have a fight. You know, they're older and, and they're like, I just want to get a Muay Thai fight and, and, and have that alpha side of me, you know. And we have a media team that you, that you head up, you know. So we get to film and, and photograph all these things for all these guests and, and get to give it to them and, and showcase them on our social media. So it's just, I'm trying to build something unique and, and I have, and what we're doing next with the, the next expansion is gonna definitely put us in a category of our own that I, I think will be unmatched by by anyone. So that's kind of that's kind of how ambitious this got. Yeah, and still going. Um, and as far as the uh, training curriculum goes, um, how close or what differences, if any, would you say uh, there are between us here at AKA Thailand and, uh, AKA headquarters in San Jose. The, the MMA curriculum is the same. Um, we train the same way. The difference being as Javier even would say, um, is we do have bigger facilities. Um, we have more facilities. Um, we have the full Muay Thai program, which we don't have in San Jose. So, you know, while we have uh, Muay Thai classes in San Jose, we have a stable of 13 to 14 to 15 uh, world champion Muay Thai trainers training you here two times a day um, that you can go train with. We have a strength and conditioning program. We have a weight room. Uh, we have the Aerodyne room, the first time we've ever had a custom built you know, Aerodyne room, this is state of the art, you know, um, that, that AK is kind of like created. Um, we have a full scale restaurant on site. So the restaurant is there. It's a, a, literally a full scale, full size restaurant where you can actually order your food after training, go take your shower in the locker rooms, get cleaned up, go back to the restaurant and your food's waiting for you at the table and you get your nutrients, whether it's protein shakes or, you know, healthy food or whatever it is. Um, you know, we have the showroom with the, the pro fight shop with all your gear. We have one of the safest uh, climate controlled indoor largest uh, matted training areas for the MMA room and the BJJ room. And it's got uh, Luna air systems in it, which which purify the air, clean all the bacteria. So it's one of the cleanest rooms in Thailand, I would say. Um, and now and a basketball court for recreation. Um, and then now we're building even more. We're doing even more expansion. So, um, yeah, that, that would be how I. I'd answer that cool and uh not surprisingly a lot of people want to know like we have a million different wordings on this question like how do i join your team what are you looking for in a fighter for the aka thailand team uh can you just address that and tell people kind of like what's in your mind and what kind of uh specs they should have on the resume yeah you know you got to be a fighter don't if you're questioning that you're a fighter don't come and apply for aka um, there's a lot of gyms around here and everywhere in the world where there's guys that think they're fighters and they're not, I mean, they're really not, they're, they're guys that go and they go to the club and they're drinking every weekend, they're partying, they're, uh, half-ass training. They're the guys that are on the airdyne, you know, with the numbers reduced when the, the coach isn't there. Like I said, um, they're not fighters. Don't come to AK. We don't want you. We don't need you. And we don't want you. Like, like the thing is, is like we, we have a, a gym that's catering to everybody. We don't have to have every fighter in the world, especially, and I say fighter loosely, we don't have to have every person who resembles a fighter in the world. We want real fighters. So 
don't come and try and be on our fight team unless you're a real fighter, first of all. And then if you are, um, it's going to take a, a multitude of things. You're going to have to be a guy that trains hard. You're going to have to be a guy that helps your teammates. You're going to have to be a guy that carries yourself well outside of the training room and outside of the cage. So we're not going to have somebody represent the gym and the team because we are one big team, AKA San Jose and uh, AKA Thailand. We're not going to have you, you know, disrespect the, 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 the team and the brand, uh, you know, whether you talk trash and, and have your characteristic, you know, Manel's flashy and showboaty. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about legitimately going out there and doing dumb shit and getting caught by the cops and, you know, doing cocaine and, and drugs and, and getting hammered and, and every weekend and this kind of stuff. You know, you can't be that guy. Um, you got to put work in. Um, you got to be, uh, you know, a student. We, we want students. We, everyone learns from each other. That's the one thing that, that AK, a lot of these, these guys that they resemble fighters, they, they, they don't understand that. Like, they think that the coaches teach you everything. That's not the case. We've never been that way at AK. You know, Javier has led us and taught us a lot, and he is a great coach, and so is all the coaches that we've ever had. But a lot of it is his direction on us t teaching each other, him, him putting certain people together because he sees how one of us can help another one of us, right? Um, so you have to have a good team that, that's willing to work together and share your assets together. You have a good kickboxer and you have a good BJJ guy and they work together. They should be able to teach each other. You know what I mean? Hov can take those two guys and turn them into world champions, but Hov's not a black belt at BJJ and maybe he's not a whatever, you know, a world champion boxer uh, for boxing as this guy is. But he knows that working with these, putting these guys together and having them work together is going to help him. And then he can just that that's his job, you know, to help with what he can and then to match the right people. And you got to have those people. You got to have that team that, that's willing to help each other. And that's what we do the same. I do the same as what Hob does is, is try to do that that curriculum. And that, that's what fighters don't, don't understand or, or these guys that, that aren't quite fighters. They don't understand. They think you have to have a coach teach you everything. They want all of his time. And, and he has to be there every second of the day and teach you everything. And they have a million questions. At the end of the day, you have to be a grown man. You have to go in there. We, we never had coaches for Airdyne at AKA headquarters. We'd go in there as a team. The team was the coach. You know, When I would look over and see Kane outworking me, that was my coach. Kane became my coach because he's outworking me. So I had to outwork him and I had to be the coach. And, and, then, and then, you know, if, if Habib was in there and he was outworking somebody, then he became the coach. You know, that's, that's how you have to be. You can't be these guys that are looking for, you know, uh, someone to just lead them by, by the leash. Those guys aren't going to make it. You have to understand that you got to give and you got to be a student to take. That's a great answer. Um, Hope so because that was just, long. Because what? I hope so, because that was long. <laughs> well, but it waste on that. Um, and a lot of people want to know kind of like what's what's a normal day look like for you or what's your daily routine kind of stuff that you do every day or, or uh, just kind of in general, your pace of life would and that be what like you got going on. my work included or would it be like training in, in a I fight say, camp? I would say just everything because, I mean, I know you do pretty much everything every day, so you might as well just kind of go through more or less what you could – what could come up on your schedule at any given point? Ah, uh, well, my day starts later. Uh, I wake up at like nine or something, nine or ten, um, because I'm up till three or four <laughs> at night, as you know. You're getting the text messages, um, so I get up and uh, check my emails, start going through my 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 emails, and and do my work. 
I, I correlate with a lot of different people. I'm doing a lot of different businesses right now. We're working on a lot of things for AKA. Um, and then I get to the gym at any given time between 12 or one to, to three to four, something like that range, whatever, as of right now, that's just my day right now because of the quarantine and the pandemic. And there's not that many people at the gym. So I can do a lot of my work from home in the morning. Um, I get my work done at the, at the gym until a lot with you actually, um, with the media stuff. Um, and then I'll either come home by eight or nine or no, no, actually I'll do my workout. Um, so I'll get my training in and then I'll come home usually for a podcast. So I'll either come home and prepare for a podcast or I'll come home and do a podcast. And then I'll spend the rest of the night either preparing for another podcast or working on getting another podcast and then doing research and, and then doing more work in emails, which put me up till at any time between two and four. And then I wake back up at around nine and then start the day over. So that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And it didn't change. It doesn't change much when there's a lot of people at the gym, except I try to get to the gym a little earlier. So instead of like one or two or something, I get there maybe 10 or 11 and, and, and try to be there for the majority of the day and, and meet people and, and, you know, just be a, uh, you know, a figure of the gym and, 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 and hang out with people and talk to people as well as get my work done. Yep. Um, another kind of a tough one, uh, cause I know you're a very ambitious fella and I know you've got a lot on your plate. So, uh, what are some of your goals that you have over the next five years? Um, I guess I can say this, but I, I, I'm, I'm helping Hav with uh, a lot of stuff with AK right now. So we're taking AK global. And so that, that's been a big part of my workload right now the, the, at nighttime and in the morning other than AK Thailand. So we are taking AK global um, and we're expanding AK Thailand. So I'm looking at, I mean, we're looking at a lot of different things, which you know about a lot of them, um, but, but we're looking at a lot of different expansions and just things that have, haven't been done by a gym and things that, that, you know, a gym, especially in this category, sports combat, haven't done before. And so it's a lot of work and, and it could propel into something uh, big. So I, I think take it as big as we can go. And, and I think the sky's the limit on, the, on, the, on what we can do with what we have. I think the sky's the limit. So I'm looking at like probably my own private yacht and a private jet in five years. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not, not quite. I was like, man, I'm going to be riding in style. <laughs> yeah. The, the Real Quick and Mike's podcast jet uh, will, be, will be fully gassed and ready to go. Um, no, I don't know. You know, like I'm, I'm expecting to be as successful as I can. You know, I think, uh, and I want to say this too, I base success on a little different than some people. It's not just about money for me. Like for me, it's about freedom. Right. And I've had that for a long time. So for me, I've been successful for a lot of the time I've had AK Thailand, even though it's not about like, I know a lot of guys that are billionaires and millionaires that have so much money, but they're working like all day long in their offices and like they you can't i can barely get a call they're my friends i can barely get a call in because they got to schedule it and because they're so busy and for them to take a vacation or to take a time you know a week off to go do something would be just you know you're talking once a year maybe um and then to operate their company would be hard to do from a different place as well um, i think having that freedom to be able to do what you want when you want to do it 
is 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 kind of the ultimate success because that's why people initially want money anyway so that they can buy things to do things you know they can buy trips they can buy houses they can buy all these things to go different places and do stuff for me travel is a big thing so for me just to be able to like travel again and go to different places um, especially considering now with what we're doing with aka it's going to be work related everything's always kind of been work related anyway but now it's going to be really work related and i can still have that freedom to enjoy my trips and, and enjoy where I go, to me, that's the ultimate success. So but I, I would say like in the next five years, I want to have more of that where I can now with this new expansion and the new ideas that we have that we're implementing, I can actually travel and have more freedom and accomplish way more than I have in the last few years because it'll be more work related, but still my passion and still, you know, being able to travel and do those things. That sounds fantastic. Um, switching gears a little bit to some kind of general MMA questions. A lot of people want to know, uh, specifically your opinion of a couple different fighters. Um, and they're guys that you ask all your guests about. Um, but I think maybe they just kind of want to know what's your take as opposed to just, uh, feeding off of, um, what your guest is, is kind of bringing up. So, uh, first and foremost, no surprise here, Hamza versus Leon Edwards. Uh, yeah. what, what are your personal thoughts on this and on both fighters? You know what? Okay. So I want to say, first of all, I do believe the hype of Hamzai. I do believe the hype. Um, but nobody knows for sure. Like you have to beat in this sport, you have to beat the high level competition to know for sure. So I believe it. I believe, I believe that he's going to be able to do well and he's going to be that guy. He has the mentality and he has the skills and the ability. Um, but he's going to have to beat the high level competition. I do also believe Leon Edwards is that high level competition. Um, I think we're getting a gift and that we're going to get this fight so early and we're going to answer this question because in, in the past, we've seen the UFC groom these guys like Hamzai for years, you know, at least a year or so uh, more before they would, they would launch them into superstardom and get them those super fights. Um, and they would make them better as well because they have more experience, obviously. So we're getting a gift and we're going to know this answer very soon. Um, and we're going to see how it turns out. And I think it's it's very credible to Leon Edwards, Edwards for taking the fight because he is a very credible fighter who's very good. And he's fighting a guy who's got a lot of hype, um, who has no reason to doubt that hype, and who also isn't ranked technically. Um, and then if he beats Hamzai, the, everyone's just going to say that it was all hype. And he, then he won't get the, the credit that he would probably deserve because he would probably still beat a very good fighter, even though, you know, they'll just say that it's hype and you, you just want to fight against an unranked hyped fighter. So I think, I, I, think, uh, I think it's a good fight either way. And I think we're going to know. I can't predict a winner because I don't know enough about Hamzai. I don't have enough variables for this. I don't, I don't have enough ways to know what's going to happen. But um, I'll be able to predict fights hopefully after this <laughs> between both of them. Um, but but I'm, 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 I'm a fan of, of Leon Edwards. I think he's a great fighter and he's going to be a great test. But I'm also a big fan of Hamzai. And I think Hamzai could be – and I'm excited to have someone like Hamzai come up who could be that next big thing because he has that it thing, you know what I mean? And like, like guys like Leon Edwards, they have all the skills and they have, and he could become a big star as well, but he's got to work harder for it. Guys like Hamzai, the way he's won and how he's done it and his story and how the UFC's pushed him, 
he has the ability to to launch faster and bigger and and that brings excitement from the fans so that that's that's where that excitement for the fans comes from with like the conor mcgregor's and the habibs and the you know these guys that get you out of your chairs and like they do things that's just incredible and and they back up what they say so i'm excited to see what happens in that fight to be honest yeah i'm looking forward to that matchup too i think that'll be pretty uh, pretty impressive so um, overall overall prediction on that fight I, I say the fans the fans will win that fight I think. All right. All right. I'll let you take the easy way out on that one. Yeah. Very um, political. I could, I'm trying to get both those guys on the show. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to have them both on too. I think that'd be amazing. But I was very honest in my, in my assessment. Yeah. And uh, speaking of guys we'd love to have onto the podcast, um, what are your thoughts on Islam Makachev? Islam. Islam is phenomenal. At everything but coming on the podcast. <laughs> he is so good at fighting and training. But doing podcasts and scheduling them, not so good. Um, Islam was going to be on the podcast. He was set to be on the podcast. And he was. it was like a matter of like moments. And then he had to back out of his fight. And then uh, all those guys, we, we were lucky to get as many of those guys from Dagestan with Habib's team that we got. Because yeah. it is super hard to get those guys to do a podcast, especially one of this length and the information that we got. And, and, and especially with Habib and everything that like their lives are crazy and they don't believe in doing interviews and stuff like that unless they have a fight and unless they're getting ready and unless it's fight week where they have to do it. So they're very, it's very rare to get an interview from those guys, but I have been promised that I will still get the, the Islam interview, uh, when he gets better and everything and, and situated, he's in Dagestan right now. And they, they had three guys that just fought this past weekend where they went three and oh team Eagles. Yep. Congrats to them. Um, yeah, great fights. And uh, but yeah, he is phenomenal fighter. In fact, I would say when you look at the lightweights, even though he's not the, the top ranked lightweight, I would say if you were to say like like give him a little, I, I hate saying give him a little bit more time because when you say that, it's almost like you're saying he's not good enough yet. It's yeah. not what I mean. It's not what I mean at all. I'm saying it because Habib is number one, and Habib is the king right now. But I'm saying if there's ever going to be somebody that could possibly give Habib a, a, a match that would be very close, it would be Islam. Because mm -hmm. I know this because I see him train, and because I see how they, how they, you know, they, you know, they're training partners. They they work together, and you can tell level. There's levels to the game, and you can tell who's on what level. Um, Islam is one of the closest. I would say this. He's one of the closest uh, fighters to matching what Habib can do. Um, yeah. And and if they weren't teammates, he would be the, the greatest match for Habib. He would be the, yeah. the ultimate match for Habib, uh, especially in time, especially with more fights. It's, he's just going to get better and better. So sure. I can't say enough good things about him. He He's a very good fighter. It's unfortunate he didn't get the fight, but – he will be fighting soon and, uh, you know, coming up. And, and, and I think the world will definitely, he, he will be a superstar. Yeah, I agree. Um, we've got to get our Conor McGregor soundbite in. So let me ask you this one. Yeah. Uh, Conor said openly that a real loss to him would be if someone KOs him and he doesn't see a submission as a loss uh, as, dev as devastating to his ego mindset. Um, so what are your thoughts on that mindset? And, you know, submission losses i guess in general i mean like i don't agree with that at all i think i mean a loss is a loss 
and I think a submission loss when you tap is is worse than a knockout. Like I don't even I don't know what planet you would say that. Like like the thing is is like here's the thing about Connor, and and it's hard to figure this out for me. I'm I'm a fan of Connor. Connor's done so much. There's there's very not very few. There's no one that's done what Connor's done in a sport. He's elevated the sport. He's 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 a guy who's done the most incredible thing that anyone's done for the sport as a fighter yet. Um, that being said. He's also a warrior who I know from Dana and, and from talking to other people who's never turned down fights, who's always showed up, who's put himself on the line, and who is a true warrior. But at the same time, usually warriors fight till the death. So this is the, the one thing I don't understand about Connor is how he can tap so fast from a choke. But he is really a warrior. Like if, if you were to see those four fights where he got choked – and tapped, especially the one with Habib, where he didn't even try to get out of it. He just tapped. He just gave up. I mean, when you when you tap from a choke, like especially a rear naked choke, to me, my opinion, this is my opinion only, you give up. You quit. You you say I'm done. I'm ready to go home. I'll come back another day. That's worse than getting knocked out. I, I, is this, as bad as it looks and feels, I'd rather get knocked out than to tap, uh, and 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 have that on my conscience, knowing that I quit. Quitting is the ultimate thing for me that's like the worst thing. And for most warriors, the same. Like when you consider a warrior. This is the weird thing about Connor is that I know he is a warrior. I know he is a, a guy who has fought in extreme conditions and with a lot of pressure against very tough opponents and put a lot on the line and threw down till he was exhausted, which I know fatigue is one of the, the harshest things you can deal with in a fight. And I've seen him just throwing punches against Chad Mendez on the same card that I fought. And, and they're just going at it and he just digs the win out of no, you know, you know what I mean? Like I've seen him, him go through the grit and then I've seen him just tap so easy from like a choke, you know, and I know Khabib's strong as hell. Get, don't get me wrong. But he could have tried to fight out of it or just passed out knowing that from a run, I could choke the worst thing that, that's going to happen is you're just going to essentially wake up. Um, so I don't agree with that. I agree with the loss being a loss. I think whether you get choked or you get knocked out, you lose. And he's lost four times in his career. Um, and I think that's the only reason he's not higher up on the pound for pound. Because everything else he did, aside from the losing part, um, has been nothing but phenomenal and has been outstanding. So yeah, that's been my weird. That's been my weird. My weird uh, hang up with him. Just that how you can be a warrior, but then how you can fight sometimes unlike a warrior. In the fact, you know, you know the build up when he was fighting Habib. It was all about uh, the Irish blood and how strong it is, and we 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 are like the warriors to the death and all this. And he was getting trying to get inside Habib's head, which was crazy because Habib is the one that's like that. Like Habib's the one that's going to die before he taps. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you, yeah. put him, if you actually get to the bottom of it, but he was doing all this and that buildup of that fight. And then ironically, he tapped out before he even tried to escape. Like he tapped out kind of fast in that fight. And then, uh, so it's kind of ironic how that happened. So that's my take on it. You know, again, I'm not trying to knock Connor. I, I love Connor. What he's done, everything he's done has been fantastic. He's a he, he's a huge, huge impact to the sport. But I just don't understand that part. I don't really understand why he gives gives up and 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 taps out when he's already done so much. That's taken so much out of him in other fights. Why not just go for it in every in every fight, in every way, you know, if you get put in a choke, get out, you know, try to get out. If not, you, you wake up and at least you, you know, no one's gonna, I think, I think more people would give him credit if he, if he passed out than if he tapped. 
I think we've seen from the memes and stuff, he's taken so much heat for the tapping, McTapper and all this kind of stuff. I think that's been the the biggest thing that he's had that, that's been, you know, made fun of. So, yeah, that's my take on that. Cool. So we also have a lot of people that are asking questions general about breaking into MMA and kind of get some advice from you. Um, so if somebody is, say, you know, 23 years old and they don't have any MMA experience, how would you recommend them to get started? And, and especially with the challenge that, you know, MMA and BJJ gyms are really expensive. Um, you got, well, you, I mean, yeah, so is college and, and you got to figure out a way. So, I mean, like nothing's easy. There's no easy path to a career. You got to have to like sacrifice. So if something costs a lot of money, you're going to have to save money. You're going to have to raise money. You're going to have to, you know, someone's got to believe in you, right? You, you got to like have family or friends or sponsors or some, somebody that you, if you have what it takes to be a real fighter and, and to, to, to do it, you know, to, to make it in the sport, then, you know, somebody should believe in you enough and have seen that in you to help you and get you there. And, and that's what most people have done. They've relied on those people, those family members, those friends, the sponsors, the, you know, whatever the gym, maybe that, that, that you've proven yourself to, whatever the case you have to, you have to figure it out. That's just something you got to have figure out on your own. I can't really give a, a straight answer to that. I, I went to AK and I was living with John Fitch in a tiny apartment and we were eating like ramen noodles and tuna fish and frozen grapes for dessert. And like, watching Mori Povich every day. So like, I mean, yeah, like we, we, it wasn't easy for us and we did what we had to do. You know, we lived in one of the most expensive areas, the Silicon Valley, the Bay area, you know, and we were fighters making nothing, but that was where our gym was. So we had to live in this crazy expensive area and we all made it, we all made it work somehow and, and still got our training in. And, and so, you know, if you can't figure that part out, it's, it's insulting to those of us who have, you know, cause you're trying to take a shortcut somehow and get an easy end. You got to figure it out. You got to figure out a way to get the training in. And then when you do, you got to train hard and, and don't worry about the age. You'll figure it out. You know, you got to figure out what you want to do. If you want to be a champion, you know, it's better to have had an earlier start, but you don't know until you try. Uh, Daniel Cormier was a wrestler, um, who was a very, you know, world-class Olympic wrestler, but he didn't start MMA until he was 22 years old. And then he went on to win fights uh, including knocking out the heavyweight champion of the world by a knockout, which he didn't have punching ability until he was 22 years old. So, I mean, he didn't have the skill set, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so you don't know until you start. And I, I would say if you're 40, yeah, maybe don't start MMA. But, you know, but if you're in your 20s, you're still young. Go for it. See what happens. Have fun. Have fun for a little while. And you know what? One of the coolest things about my life right now is being able to look back and say, hey, I used to fight in the UFC. I had 15 fights in the UFC. Yeah, not many people can say that, you know? So it's like not many people is going to be able to say that you trained in MMA. Not a lot of people is going to be able to say that you, you know, that they had fights of any level in MMA. So just do it and have fun and live your life. And, and if that's what you want to do and you're passionate about, go for it. That's great. Um, that's great advice. And uh, along the same terms of like trying to improve, um, a lot of people are asking about grappling. Um, so like if you don't have, so say right now we're in this COVID situation, you might not have a grappling partner to practice with. So what, what kind of workouts would you recommend for somebody who wants to improve on their grappling that has to do it solo? And um, you know, like what type of uh, muscle groups uh, do you need to, to get stronger and to become a better grappler? YouTube, YouTube is the greatest college in the world. I've learned more from YouTube than anything else. So. I still spend, when I say I stay up to like three or four in the morning, 
a lot of that time is on YouTube, like learning, uh, watching, evaluating, um, different things that I'm interested in. Cause you can directly find stuff so well and get so much information. Um, I would say I know fighters and I want to say I had someone on the podcast. I want to say Calvin Cater, but maybe I'm wrong. It, it, it could have been someone else. It might've been Kraus. I think it, it could have been James Kraus. It, it. it was James Kraus. I think it was James Kraus yeah. who I had on the podcast recently, who literally started with YouTube and, and, and he, he said he learned all of his BJJ through YouTube, which is exactly your question. Uh, he, he watched YouTube and then he just performed the moves in his, in his garage or his house or whatever. Um, and so I would say if that's the only choice you have and you have internet, go to YouTube, look up instructionals. Uh, if you have a little bit of time and maybe like another few months, we got to, you know, AK Thailand's going to be putting something out that's going to be pretty incredible. They can definitely jumpstart your, uh, your training uh, by yourself. But for the meantime, uh, YouTube is a, a great source. Um, it's good to have a partner. So try to make a friend, try to make somebody to, to come want to help you. But definitely YouTube, there's a lot of information and there's a lot of solo drills. We're putting a lot of instructionals out on, uh, on AK's Instagram with uh, Silvio Braga, who, and a lot of those are like drills by, that you can do by yourself and they're free on, on Instagram. So you just got to search and, and try to find uh, drill. A lot, of, a lot of BJJ in the beginning, the basics, is a lot of it's drilling and, like, and, and basic technique stuff that you don't really necessarily need to be going live with somebody you just need to learn the flow and relax and understand the concepts of movement and direction and position and, and things like that oh and for the workout um and for the mm -hmm. workout um for me a lot was for for grappling and for fighting was bicep back and legs like and shockingly one thing i picked up from frank shamrock that really carried me through a lot was the inner thigh the, the, the inside of your thigh. So when you go to the gym and then and you're going to the leg machines, go to the one where the old lady's uh, sitting down reading a book and then just wait for her to get off that machine where she's like squeezing her legs together and she's like reading like some like Harry Potter novel that's like whatever, just, just stand there and she'll get up and move eventually and then take that machine. That machine is incredible. The one where you squeeze your knees together and then you'll eventually, and the funny thing is you can actually increase your strength so fast. It's amazing. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about, but you can increase the strength of your inner thigh so fast. It's going to blow your mind. You'll go back almost every time you go work out. Eventually you'll be able to increase the weight a little bit each time. And then you'll get to where you have like all the weight on, on the machine and you'll get to where you can do it more times. When you increase that inner thigh, your ability to like hold back control, uh, mount, uh, arm bar, like armbar, you can squeeze so freaking strong with your legs. And then that's such a huge part of grappling when you're controlling somebody. Also biceps. I do, I do my, my pull-ups this way always because it works the biceps more and then the lats in the back and that's for pulling. So for clinchings, pulling when I, when I'm on top of somebody from the ground and I, and I put my hand behind their back and I squeeze them a lot of that's biceps and in your back. So those are the muscle groups that have really helped me control people on the ground and in fighting. That's great advice. Uh, I never knew that about pull-ups. That makes perfect sense. You can do them both ways. So you can go here, which mm -hmm. is, they say is the correct way, um, or you can do them this way. And they say this is the cheating yeah. way. <clears throat> and they say that because you can do more because you're using right. better muscle groups, but it doesn't matter. The point is you're doing it for a specific reason. And the reason is I want those muscle groups worked. So I'll do biceps this way um, mm -hmm. versus this way, which works a little bit more of the back, not as much of the biceps. And, and it doesn't cover the areas that I use as much. I love having that bicep strength, especially when you're fighting for an arm and, and mm -hmm. he's holding his arm very tight. You want that extra strength in those biceps to pull that arm out. 
um, or the leg for a knee bar. Um, and then when you have that, when you, when you work that inner thigh, first of all, don't work it hard. Just <laughs> this is a very, very uh, helpful tip for you. Uh, don't overwork your thighs in the beginning. Go do the same weight that the old lady did. Whatever she did, do that weight first. Um, because you will tear the shit out of your inner thighs and you won't be able to walk or sit or do anything for like a week. So you go very, very, very slow in the beginning because you never use those muscles. They're very, very rare that you use them. Um, but then definitely work them and you will see a huge improvement in your grappling because you will be able to hang on with crazy strength for a crazy period of time and do high repetition, obviously, and it'll definitely help your game. That's awesome. And, uh, so do you believe that um, somebody's born with the potential to be uh, a great striker or is that something that can be learned uh, through like practice and working out and repetition? Um, I, I would say you're not born to be a great striker at all. I would say you learn that for sure. I was definitely not a great striker. I was a horrible striker. And I wouldn't say that I'm like, I'm not going to say I'm a phenomenal striker or some great technical striker. In fact, Javier will tell you I'm not a technical like technically a great striker, um, even though I have the knockouts that I have and, and, and that I've got most of them from my punching and, and, and striking um, abilities. But um, I had to learn everything I did. And I was just, I just, I, I just, for some, whatever reason, because I had so many different styles from Taekwondo to kickboxing to pancreation to um, Muay Thai to then MMA, the way I formed my striking was just very unorthodox. And I just always kept parts of each one. And so I've just, I, I formed my own like unique style that was very unorthodox. So if, if I go out there and do Muay Thai, I don't look like I'm a very technical Muay Thai fighter. I don't have the, the great technique of a Muay Thai fighter, but I can still land the punches in a Muay Thai fight or, or the strikes in a Muay Thai fight. Um, but it's something that you learn. You, you, yeah, you can't. I mean, I can't imagine you being born. You might have the fortitude to throw strikes and, and, the, and you grow, especially now nah, I, I take it back. No. I don't. I, I, I'm going with the answer. You cannot be born uh, and to to know how to strike. So you you got to learn and and you got to adapt and uh, and build that. Nice. Um, how do you stay motivated? With you know, you've told us how busy your day is, and you still get a work in, workout in every night uh, before you go home. So like, how do you stay motivated to maintain that kind of shape? And like you said, you know, pretty close to how you were even in your fighting career. Um, what's your secret? Yeah, you know, the, the motivation um, comes from guilt, and also I have a gym to promote as well. So, like me being in shape at 41 years old and posting pictures of being in shape and, and actually being in shape and, and living a good, healthy life and feeling young and feeling, you know, energetic and being able to enjoy what I'm doing sells the gym because that's where I'm doing it. I'm doing it at the gym. So if I can go to AK Thailand and I can get in shape and, and do all the things that you're seeing on my Instagram, then you can do the same thing. And I think it's, it, it, you know, everyone can say, well, that's any gym. Well, not really. You know, like Thailand's a little different. It's a lot hot. It's a lot more hot in Thailand. And, you know, the, the, you sweat a lot more. Um, the food's healthy. Uh, it's easier to get the food and the nutrients you need immediately following training. Um, the lifestyle is less stress. So you got less stress on your body. I think that I'm not, I'm not aging as like I probably would have in America in that high pace, crazy, stressful environment being here. Um, and there's just a lot of things that, that, uh, that, that I think help you here to, to get in better shape. There's a very cohesive group of people. It's a, a community at AK Thailand, as you know. Uh, there's many, many people 
from all over the world training. So it's easy to stay motivated because you're always, you always got someone to work out with or next to, or you, you're watching during the daytime, which motivates you to train at night. So for all those reasons, um, it's easy to stay motivated. Um, even though my body's not the same as it was, you know, obviously 20 years ago or 15 years ago, but I, and I just love being in shape. I, I don't like not being in shape where I can't, you know, and for me too, with my injuries, um, from fighting for as long as I fought, I'll be more injured, you know, just walking to the refrigerator and opening the door or bending over and picking up something off the floor if I'm out of shape or I'm not strong. Mm -hmm. So I have to almost keep my body strong to hold all my ligaments and my bones and my tendons in place because they're not as strong as they used to be. So they, I right. need that muscle as support kind of. So it's like I notice when I quit working out, if I get injured or something, I start getting achy and like you know where i start feeling older and stuff like that so yeah i just i, I just love the lifestyle here and uh, i love being in shape and and uh I, so many other people are the same as me I, they come here and and i mean how many people at the gym have phenomenal bodies and they're like 40 years old you know 35 years old jason jason works out all the time i mean he's like 47 yeah. or something 46 i don't even know how old he is then we have yeah there's so many people so yeah and uh, so just touching real quick, you've mentioned, you know, your body weight uh, exercises. So like what, what's a typical workout look like for you? Like what's your routine? I mean, right now I do a lot of push-ups. Well, I actually do a, a unique workout I'm actually going to put out soon. It's definitely going to come out on the new AKA Thailand platform that we're going to make um, for instructionals. But um, I basically do 30 minutes of push-ups, 30 minutes of pull-ups, and then I end up doing some weights after that. And when I say 30 minutes, it's like – it's like I'll do a minute on, a minute off, or I'll do – I'll have to show you more so, but um, I, I can break it up like this. Like you do 30 minutes, um, and you do one minute straight of push-ups on your knees, not, on, not, not without your knees because on your knees you can do more, and it's less strain on your back. Um, and you do as many as you can for a minute. And then obviously eventually you're going to get tired in that minute. You're not going to be able to finish the entire minute. And then you take like a quick break and then do a couple more, take a quick break, do a couple more, take a quick break, do a couple more till the minute's over, take a minute break, and then back on, back off, back on. So it's 15 rounds of push-ups. I do the same for pull-ups. For pull-ups, you get to a point where you're doing like five. You know, like you're lucky to get five toward the end of the 30 minutes, but you're still taking a minute off. Um, but I'll just do like one or, you know, five, and I'll take a break, move my arms for a second, and then I'll do like two or, you know, three at the end. Um, and then just make sure that I continue doing them for the full minute as much as I can. And then I'll take a minute break. Um, those are my two main workouts, how I start. And then I end up with weights. So I'll hit like on pull-up day, I'll hit uh, biceps. So I'll do some curls. Uh, I'll do some other workout for my back. And then on the uh, push-up days, I'll do triceps. And then I'll probably sometimes do a little bit of incline, uh, dumbbell press, something like that as well. And then cardio. So that's, that's pretty much my routine now. And for cardio, are you typically doing uh, like treadmill, elliptical, airdyne bike? I'm doing elliptical right now because of my knees. I don't want to have any impact on my knees. I never liked impact on my knees, uh, to be honest with you. We've, we've always done a lot of elliptical. And what we do on the elliptical is we do sprints. So it's the same thing for like 30 minutes or 45 minutes. We do a minute on, a minute off. So what we'll do is we'll go um, on our ellipticals at AK Thailand. I'll do on level uh, t uh, 12 or 13 to start. Um, and I'll do like a five minute warm up, and then I'll go to 14 and I'll, I'll, I'll do a minute and then I'll go to 16 and I'll, I'll sprint a minute at 16, which is like a heavier uh, resistance. And that'll make you basically exhausted. Then I'll go back to 14 and I'll just stay moving for a minute. 
and, and I'll catch my breath, but I'll still be working. Then I'll jump back to 16, back to 14, back to 16, back to 14. And I'll do that for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, however, whatever level of shape I'm in at that time. Um, and it's exhausting and you burn a hell of a lot of calories. So, and there's no impact on your knee. So I'll usually do that routine. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Um, and one question that we get fairly often, I think this might be a good one to kind of wrap up things on is, uh, what form of self-defense out of all the disciplines, uh, in martial arts, would you recommend for kids, um, to start with and, and get in introduced to MMA? I would say BJJ is the number one starter uh, martial art. Uh, it's a great discipline. It teaches you discipline because you have to work on the, the techniques and you have to be very disciplined to actually go over the techniques and, and work on them and drill them over and over and over. And that's going to teach you, uh, you know, that discipline, which I've said four times, uh, in other forms of martial arts that you're going to have to do as well. Um, and it's a fun environment, you, you know, and we actually – are starting a kids program as we speak at AK Thailand, even though we're in the pandemic right now, we still have so many kids that are coming in that we're still in the, in the midst of starting a kids program. We definitely will have it when we open back up with, with the full borders and everything um, with BJJ, because it is such a, a good starting point for, for kids. Um, and it's wrestling. So, you know, you're not teaching your kid to punch somebody in the face or kick them. You know, they're not, they're not going across a playground and doing a spinning back kick on somebody because they took their milk. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the worst case scenario, they take them to the ground and grab them and like lock them up for a second until the teacher comes over. So it's, it's not a violent martial art, um, but it is a controlling martial art. So if somebody attacks uh, your child or a kid and they don't have BJJ experience, they're going to get wrapped up 100%. They're not going to be able to get away with, uh, you know, a BJJ practitioner versus a not BJJ practitioner. It's just, it's across the board. Whoever doesn't have experience is going to get wrapped up and, and tied up and not be able to do anything within a matter of moments. So I'd say for all those reasons, it's a, it's a very, uh, very good uh, sport and uh, very good technique to start. I think it probably teaches kids of that age also like how to kind of think on the fly because you have to be really present when somebody's uh, when you're flowing with somebody and they're putting you in a different move and you have to try to think like, okay, here are my options in this position or here's how I get out and here's how I work into to something else. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is like it, it's fun for kids because when you learn the striking arts, a lot of times for kids, they're not striking each other. Right. So they're not hitting each other. And if they are, like the Muay Thai kids here, they fight when they're eight years old. When they are, they hurt each other and they start crying. And then they're fighting and they're actually I've seen I've seen kids fight full on Muay Thai. And then when the round's over, one of the kids would, would like cry all the way back to the corner. And he would cry the entire time that the round was in between rounds. And then he would mm -hmm. go out there and he was a savage fighter. Like he would just be he would completely win and then he'd cry again all the way back. Um, so but any anyway when you're training in martial arts for f with a kid, you're not usually sparring or hitting each other, which means that you're, you're technically training a lot of like shadow. You're doing a lot of shadow stuff and that's a boring for kids. You know what I mean? So when you, mm. how much can you punch the air and kick the air and kick a bag without the kid looking around and like wanting to do something else? But when you're doing BJJ, you have a partner. So you're wrestling and it's fun and you're laughing. And then, you know, you get a position on him and you, you feel like, oh, I got him, you know. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to get you back. So it's kind of like, you know, kids wrestle as kids just on the ground, you know, in their living room. Like it's, it's kind of like second nature to wrestle with each other and, and, and kind of do that like – 
it's kind of we're genetically predisposed to kind of wrestle and 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 shove our strength around on each other. So I think it's a great uh, another great reason for BJJ because it's more exciting, it's more fulfilling. You feel like you're doing more as a kid, and it's definitely more exercise because you're you know it's you get tired when you're wrestling somebody or you know kids are wrestling each other versus just doing shadow boxing for you know, 30 minutes. So for that reason, I, I'd say it's, it's a st- good starting point for everybody, literally, no matter what age group. That's a great answer, man. Um, obviously, we've got tons more questions, but I think we've given the uh, subscribers a lot to chew on um, over this podcast. Uh, I do want to say thanks to everybody that sent in a question. Obviously, if we didn't get to yours, really sorry about it, but we just had a lot of really good ones. And, and also, my hat's off to you, Mike, because this is not an easy job feeding somebody questions. <laughs> That's uh, all right. So I have a new appreciation for what you do, you know, three, four times a week. No, it's easy, man. I appreciate all the work you do, and uh, I, I appreciate all the fans and the followers and the, wh- whoever listens to, to our podcast, however you listen to it, from the video on YouTube to uh, the audio platforms. You know, we appreciate the support. We, we, uh, st- you know, we stopped the podcast for a year because it wasn't what we wanted and it wasn't structured how we wanted. And uh, the one thing that came good out of the quarantine is we were able to restructure the podcast. We had time to restructure and build everything and change everything to where we could knock out you know, with the workflow, three episodes a week, if we could, uh, definitely two, and do it the right way that I wanted to do. And I felt comfortable doing it. And you felt comfortable doing it. And so we revamped the show from basically being dead uh, eight months ago. And we've done, you know, fifth, this, this is our 100th episode, which we start, we ended at like 50 or 51. Then we did 13. 51, I think. Then we did 13 yep. quarantine episodes. Then we did breakdowns. Then we did special yep. episodes. So we've done like 70, 80 episodes in like eight months. And yeah. we've quadrupled our subscriptions since then. Uh, and we've, we've gotten so much feedback from you guys. So thanks for all of you for letting us uh, rebirth ourselves and, and actually come back the way we wanted to and uh, giving us that opportunity to to do what we wanted to do and 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 we we're glad that you guys like it we love the feedback please leave a comment if you like these uh question and answers we do have some left over probably that we didn't get to so if you guys liked uh what i did today and answered these questions we will do another one um soon so you can leave questions you can uh let us know what you think and then we'll go from there but uh we definitely will respond to you we, we appreciate the feedback and uh unless you have anything else i guess we'll see everybody next time That's all I got, sir. Hey, happy 100th to all of us. Thanks, Greg, and everybody that's helped out, Evan, um, Simon, all you guys for supporting us, 100th episode. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of neat. I never thought we'd do a podcast. I never thought I'd enjoy it so much, and it'd be so fun. And here we are at episode number 100. So thank you so much for the support. And if you are supporting us and you like the show, subscribe, right? And then hit the bell, whatever that means. Greg knows. Absolutely. Hit the bell and congratulations on 100, Mike. Great job. All right, you two too. Jeez, you two as well. There we go. I knew I'd have to mess up. All right, guys, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.